So that was yesterday, then today running around Central, tomorrow fancy dinner. <laughs> it's all happening. Jam packed. Yeah. yeah. And slotting in the middle there. I forgot that I'd I already read these chapters for our failed recording last week. So I was like, oh, mm. excellent. I'm not even going to read them again. I'm just going to hope it all comes back to me. <laughs> uh, feeling ready? I feel like I'll take that like last little bit that you just said to put at the beginning. Yeah, I'm ready. Not the, not the misty out. eyes of my cat. Dipsy. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <sighs> This one goes out to you, Dixie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is Brad and Barricade's Lamez podcast. My name is Nihuo Martin, I use they them pronouns. And this week I finally came out of hiatus on a fic that I started in 2016. It was that long ago. (laughs) Oh yeah, it was so long ago. And like through the course of this fic, I've been on hiatus for like three years. Like I started in 2016, like added a chapter in like 2017, added a chapter in 2018, and then finally added the last like 30k yesterday. Wow. (laughs) Um, Congrats to the Lamos fandom. You just got a 70k fanfic that got completed yesterday. Um... And I'm feeling dead about it, to be honest. (laughs) I I wrote like 30k in like three days and I haven't read any of it back. I've just like wrote it like directly into a Google Doc, copied and pasted it and like put it. And like, I was so like brain dead yesterday that I just uploaded it and was like, I don't, I can't, if it doesn't get uploaded now, it doesn't get uploaded ever. (laughs) So... You should have done it to our Bread and Barricades AO3 account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I love when you are forced to write fix longer than you personally like to read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally, I don't read fix longer than 3k. And every single time I'm like, yeah, 70k, all right, sure. <laughs> Here you go. This is Stevie, she they pronouns, primary searcher. This morning, I finally opened the new AirPods that Nemo didn't want, so gave to me. (laughs) And my, I I want to pretend it was because it was really early, but I think it's just like my naive front brain. On the case, it says R.I.P. Voltaire. And I was literally (laughs) typing out, I was typing out to Nemo. Oh my God, you'll never believe it. But Voltaire is written on my case. And then was like, the hindbrain kicked in to be like, oh my God, you idiot. Like, (laughs) Nemo clearly got it personalized. But I was honestly writing out the message to you like, Nemo, you'll never guess what Apple has done. It's fate. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god that's that's i i did that like it must have been like a month maybe two months ago so i had completely forgotten about it that is the best present that i could have given you to give me <laughs> it looks pretty good but then also because that's written on the case when my boss came in today I was like oh what brand is that and then read it and was like what <laughs> We're just very into Voltaire right now, and I guess forever. (laughs) Oh my Uh, god. I 
read these chapters last a week ago uh, and then recording failed. So I can't fully remember, so I can't with any confidence say speaking of Voltaire. <laughs> but I'm going to say it with unco- unconfidence? What's the inverse of confidence? Uh, Confidentless? Without confidence, I think. Clunky. Well, without yeah. confidence, speaking of Voltaire? We'll, we'll make it happen. You you underestimate my my desire, my drive, my will. Yeah, and also we shouldn't underestimate Victor Hugo's ability to literally sprinkle him <laughs> in to every three chapters. So yeah, the exactly. odds are good. Um, we're getting into some more Marius. Oh, and I also remembered. So when we tried to record last week, I was coming at this with the energy of like Nemo. <laughs> I'm maybe gonna like defend Marius this week. Let's see how you feel about that. But now a week has passed and my thoughts have had time to mature like a fine cheese. And maybe I was going to be giving him too much credit, I realised. So, what a difference a week makes. What play is it where it's like, um, as you like it, where it's Shakespeare's play where he says, like, you know, there are seven stages of life five stages of life it's like the baby who's like can't do anything the child on his way to school teenager who's blah 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 the soldier who's blah 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 the judge blah 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 and the old man who is like a babe again and you have progressed from like babe who knew nothing to child who's on the way to school to like teen who thinks they're like striking out on their own and like (laughs) forming opinions and then you became the soldier and now you're on my side again so (laughs) i crashed back over to you well we'll get to the part where i was like oh you know what good and now that a week has passed and i've not freshly read it was like no way i should be expecting that at a bare minimum (laughs) so diving in we're starting book six the conjunction of two stars in their attitudes uh, stars was another motif yeah exactly so star motif here um chapter one the nickname a way of inventing family names so marius is now a handsome young man of medium height with flared, sensuous nostrils. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just what a, what a thing for Hugo to take the time to describe. So he's got a goatee and he's got flared, sensuous nostrils. So really building up that image of him. A complete absence of angularity. Mm. Which I was like trying to remember what um, what's his face's face looks like. Uh, the guy who played Marius in the film? Eddie Redmayne. Yeah, that I was like, initially I was like, oh, bad casting. And then I was like, wait, maybe all his, where angles should be are rounded. Yeah, he's like long, but not pointy. Yeah, so maybe that was good casting. Ovula. <laughs> Ovula. <laughs> a Germanic softness. He's got a profoundity and a naivety. Given a serious situation, he had everything it takes to be stupid. (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, there's just descriptions Hugo gives where he uses so many words that you're like, most of these contradict each other, but sure. Reserved, cold, courteous. But then he'd just been like, he's so pure and kind and air of sincerity and calm that you're like, okay, whatever. Um, Mm. 
but his mouth was attractive. His lips the reddest of red and his teeth the whitest of white. His smile compensated for all the severity in his face. That chaste forehead and voluptuous smile. Wow. <laughs> he, how many, we really should have been counting how many voluptuous smiles Ricky Hugo had. <laughs> and it's all his fucking like boy, boys. His, it's his all voluptuous his boys. boys. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Enjolas had some voluptuous lips. Yeah, they were like rosy red, the pink. pink oh, maybe and... they're more pink than red. Hmm. And we know that Jean Valjean had a voluptuous Oh, smile. yeah. Oh, my God, I forgot about Valjean. I was like, oh, yeah, these young boys with their red, rosy lips. But <laughs> The most important too. boy, Jean Valjean. <laughs> Well, in the pantheon of voluptuous lips with Jean Valjean enters Marius. Mm -hmm. He's at a point in his life where all of the jigsaw puzzle pieces that make up his appearance are what are very attractive to young women, Victor Hugo tells me. Uh Um, And they'll turn as he walks by, but this really mortifies him. Which I was like, surely, Nemo, you can relate. Yeah, I mean, that's true. (laughs) Do not perceive me. We can't help that you also are part of the pantheon of voluptuous lips. Oh my god. (laughs) And chaste foreheads. (laughs) I hate this. I hate this, Phoebe. I hate hate this angle you're coming in at. I hate it a lot. (laughs) Do you feel like I'm trying to cast you as Marius? I oh I I got the impression, Stevie, that that your argument was going to be something along the lines of but maybe Nemo, it's because you recognize yourself in him. <laughs> <laughs> and I dislike it. <laughs> I actually won't come at you with that right now. <laughs> <coughs> There's still time. But as we recall, because he's been in a bit of a financial state for a while, he's not got a lot of good clothing anymore. So he just assumes that people stare at him because he thinks they think he's a slob. Mm. But in fact, they stared at him because of his attractiveness and the yearnings <laughs> that prompted in them. <laughs> Kovarak's always like, oh my god, Marius, you little embarrassment. Here's some advice. Don't read so many books. Spend a little more time looking at the lessons. Um, And on other occasions, he calls him Monsieur (laughs) l'Abbé. And he's been friends with some abbés, so I think he wouldn't... Like, Marius would probably take that as a compliment. Mm. Or he should. Uh, As his stepfather is an abbé. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But in Marius's life, there were two women who he doesn't flee, and he doesn't pay any attention to them at all. And one was the old lady who slept, who swept his room. <laughs> Kufarek is a bit of a bitch. Um, Kufarek mm. used to say, oh, his seven woman has a beard. Marius doesn't have one. <laughs> like, leave her and her beard alone. <laughs> and then the other was a little girl he saw very often and never looked at. Mm-hmm. So, for <laughs> so you know where we are. Um, for more than a year... Marius basically takes the same walk pretty much, maybe not every day, but like very often um, in the Luxembourg Gardens, where he just like 
paces from one end to the other and then turns back and then does it again and he does that a couple times just like walking the kind of like pacing this one strip Mm. and on that path there is a bench where you often see a man and a very young girl sat Mm. side by side and the old man he's like probably 60 he looks sad and serious the weary look of a military man who's retired from service and Marius like would have thought of him as a former officer and he wears Mm. blue trousers a blue frock coat broad-rimmed hat uh, a black cravat a Quaker shirt and that a passing grisette had said of him that's a jolly smart widower and he has very white hair (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure we've had the Jean Valjean descriptions of his very white hair like I don't think at this point we're like who else could it be Mm-hmm. Old, yeah. old man who looks very smart and ooh a widower maybe we could change that with his very white hair and his his little girl I mean it was like the feature of like him coming out of Arras and and his hair had turned a shock white so like uh, yes. I feel like if if a reader at this point was like yeah it's just a random old man with white hair white hair guys get it get it white hair yeah surely at this point you'd be like he doesn't introduce new characters it's just the same old people showing back up (laughs) um and then the young girl in this first year that maris is there is a slip of a thing of 13 or 14 years so thin to be almost ugly awkward and remarkable her eyes always raised with a disagreeable (laughs) self-confidence like wow (laughs) At least we know that Valjean was raising her, right? Yeah, that she's just like looking around like, yeah, and what? (laughs) (laughs) Let her be confident. She's always in like an old maidish dress, which often you'll see girls in who grew up in a convent, Mm. just like touring more of those uh, remembrance spells. Um, They look like father and daughter. And yeah, and Marius just like, kind of like, notices them a little bit and is like ah oh, this old man who was not yet old and this little girl who was not yet a person <laughs> which i have described certain friends as not quite people when we were teens so i was like okay yeah do you know what that means yeah yeah that's quite funny uh and they take no interest in marius and he doesn't re- take any interest in, in them either um i guess except to notice the ineffable fatherliness in the eyes of the of the old man Ooh. the dashing widower oh. uh, the perfect yeah. man <laughs> he's very smartly dressed right now no yeah. yellow coat but <laughs> smart uniform yeah Marius goes on this toing and froing along this one path that goes past their bench like <laughs> six times just during his walk I'm like I would even if that like the two father and daughter are like caught up in their conversation, I feel like I would notice someone doing that like every day, like what is happening? I guess, but then I guess like they're also just sitting on a bench in the middle of a park and not moving. Just yeah. in the middle of the day. So That seems more like standard to me than someone pacing by me six times though. Mm, that's true. Yeah, it kind of also depends on like I can't remember what the the 
John de Luxembourg looks like. I can't. Is it just like a long strip? And then you just like, like there isn't, like, you know, it's not like Hyde Park or something where mm-hmm. it's like, you know, so massive that you walk around and like, you know, you wouldn't be able to see the same person twice, but it's like, you know, walk back. Okay. Walk this is his only option to yeah. pace. Acceptable then. I'll allow it. But Kufarak, so he's also seen these two and finding the girl ugly, he made a point of keeping his distance. Like, wow, (laughs) (laughs) great. Um, And he had dubbed the daughter Mademoiselle Lenoir and the father Monsieur Leblanc. So Miss Mm. Black and Mr. White. Um, And that catches on with the other students because I guess Kofarak is just like that hilarious. (laughs) So he doesn't hang around them either. Mm. Marius, that first year... Saw them nearly every day, and he found the man to his liking, but the girl rather sullen. Oh, interesting. Like, oh, Marius. He's a, he's a dilf. He's a yeah. dilf lover. Needs a daddy. <laughs> Chapter two, though, so in their second year, there was six months where Marius didn't go to this park because mm-hmm. other things were going on for him. I must assume. But when he comes back to this path... He sees that same old man, but it doesn't seem to be the same girl. Uh-huh. <laughs> now she is tall and beautiful, the loveliest of womanly curves, at that very moment when they are still combined with all the most artless of childish graces. Uh, uh. A fleeting and innocent moment that can only be conveyed by these three words. Fifteen years old. Uh. I guess like because you had sort of warned me that you were like oh because that's like 13 yeah when they first see each other that I had thought it was 13 when like their romance happens so I was so glad that (laughs) he didn't pay her any attention until she was 15 that I was like oh my god it could have been worse you know what good on you for not even giving her a second look when she's a child <laughs> even though like yeah. 15 is not acceptable now but i feel like of the day mm. slightly more it was slightly more of a thing but yeah but yeah i was just so like wow it's not 13 that they fell in love so yeah that's something true. yeah <laughs> it's not I- much though like you don't need to give this one to me <laughs> i just went through that like if it was last week i was like oh you know what Good on you, Marius. She wasn't 13 when he fell in love with her. She didn't even pay any attention to her. And then it was today after a week has passed and I was like, mm. <laughs> that's not asking for much. I can't remember. He's because he was 17 when he left his house. And it's been mm. how many years? How old is he now? 20? Oh, yes. 20 at this point. They've not super clearly lined up hit because you know there was like the timeline of like this is how many years it took him to get to this point Mm. actually no wait did he say at the point the reader has reached in the story we're in his second year of seeing her Mm. so yeah is he 20 and she's 15 i feel like that sounds right 
Let's go for that. <laughs> yeah. So modern standards, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. I was just glad he paid no attention to her at that time. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh... <sighs> yeah. But that, that couldn't be a lower bar, so. Yeah, literally. And also when you said she was 13 to 14 and a year had passed, and I was like, that that means she could be 14. But yeah. Yeah. I was trying to do that maths, and then my eyes caught on the... These three words, 15 years old. Yeah. I was like, okay, <laughs> thanks for enshrining that for us, Victor Hugo. Yeah, with all those words, like, oh, that perfect little sweet spot when you're kind of a woman, but you're not worldly enough to not be childish and know better than to listen you, to these stupid men. It, it comes down to that thing again where it's like, you know, like uh, a 15, in this context, a 15 year old and a 20 year old having their romance, okay. But it's the fact that it's Victor Hugo who, I don't know, let's say he was 60 when he was writing the words, yeah. the perfect sweet spot, 15 years old. That is yeah. like, that's the creepy mm. thing, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Please stop it. Uh, he doesn't stop. We've got much of this to come. Mm. Her brow is seemingly made of marble now, and her cheeks of rose petals, uh, exquisite lips. Um, but she has a radiant smile, so I was like, some of this is nice. Yeah. Um, a head such as Raphael would have given to the Virgin Mary. Her nose was not handsome. It was pretty. Wow. It was the Parisian nose. That is to say, something spirited, delicate, irregular and pure. The despair of painters and the delight of poets. Oh my god. <laughs> Gotta get some of that. What's the like francophile of Paris? Par- Paribu. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what he is. Mm. A woo boo for Paris. Mm-hmm. And that na- now that she's closer to a woman, I guess she doesn't have those disgustingly overconfident upturned <laughs> eyes. <laughs> Because now nothing could be lovelier than that radiant smile with those downcast eyes. Oh, yeah. <sighs> anyway, he realised it was the same girl. In the six months, that little girl had become a young woman. There is a moment when girls blossom in the twinkling of an eye and all at once become roses. You left them yesterday as children. You came back today and find them disquieting. <laughs> you old creep. You go. You're such a fucking creep. So weird. Because, uh, like, reading those bits, you know, I'm like, because tr- I know he had a daughter that he lost mm-hmm. and that was, like, really difficult for him. So, like, I, I can't remember what age she was, but if he's had children, like, he has the experience of, like, oh, you were, like, my little girl and now you've become a young woman. Mm. But there's so much of the, like... About the lips and the womanly curves at this moment that you're like, I want to give this to you, you old creep. But you're making it very hard for me to read this as innocent of you. Yeah, for real. Because I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, um, I was talking about this with uh, you earlier in in that um, I don't see my cousins very regularly and my youngest cousin has just joined instagram and i was looking at photos of her and i was like oh jesus christ like in the blink of an eye you have turned from being 
a child into a young woman. And I felt that and I was like, well, yeah, like I can feel that. But the way that you're talking about it, Victor Hugo, is not someone who's like a dad being like, oh, you know, my little girl's all grown up or like, oh, my baby cousin is like now a young woman. It's like so sexualized that it's like, yep. <laughs> you are even, you can't even like talk about a girl. Like, because if this was like in a kind of like Valjean POV mm. or not even a Valjean POV but like just an older man POV about a young woman growing up but it's not male gaze it's the male gaze yeah. there we go like TLDR it's the male gaze of like yeah, yeah. he can't even like put aside his heterosexuality for like two <laughs> seconds to just be like listen she became a beautiful young woman yeah she grew up <laughs> yeah yeah well now she's the embodiment of the ideal and uh, her April has come, mm, and those okay. six months was enough for her to clothe herself in beauty. You see, sometimes uh, people who, having been poor and shabby, wake up one day uh, and all at once switch from penury to luxury, and they go on a spending spree and suddenly start to sparkle and become lavish and magnificent. This is due to some injection of cash. Yesterday was payment day. This young girl has received her half-year allowance. <laughs> oh, no. That's us. <laughs> I kind of, like, did enjoy that metaphor. <sighs> we got cash to spend, and we're going to try and do something nice with it. Yeah. Uh, except she cash. I guess she's cashing in her puberty card. Yeah, and we just went and bought one crab. <laughs> We had a crab fest this weekend. That we fest ripped meaning apart two crabs. With fingers. <laughs> That's <Primal>. luxury. <laughs> luxury, baby. <laughs> that was a sparkling. <laughs> Is it Maybelline? No, it's two crabs that you've ripped apart, <laughs> boiling your fingers alive, killing those crabs, dunking them under the hot water, wielding the hammer. Well, I guess we can relate when you put it like that. <laughs> that was our half-year allowance. <laughs> like us, Cosette, along with beauty, has acquired grace and taste. Mm -hmm. A taste for crab? <laughs> yeah, she's not in her little convent school outfit anymore. Now she's dressed in a simple but costly unaffected elegance. A black dress, a little white hat, some white gloves that show the daintiness of her hand, <laughs> uh, <laughs> toying with the Chinese ivory handle of a parasol, because you've got to get a little bit of uh, Orientalism in there. Mm -hmm. um, her laced silk ankle boot defined the smallest smallness of her foot. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time. <laughs> yeah, we love... For fetish <laughs> bring the klaxons <laughs> i'm pretty sure that's not the the first time we've had a foot um described to us but i could be wrong i'm trying to remember because i i know that we've definitely talked about foot fetish victor hugo's foot fetish on this podcast but i can't mm. remember fontine it was probably fontine right probably. like she's the only other person who would have been described as having a small dainty foot 
I don't know. He went off on Enjolras. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised. Enjolras' foot fetish. <sighs> no, the daintiness of Enjolras's foot, and then he attracts foot fetishes. Yeah. Grantaire has the foot fetish. I feel like I could chalk it down to him. It's that, I like... Could... You know, yeah. director thing of like you can tell when any director has a foot fetish. Yep. And Quantaire is definitely the kind of artist who would put his fetishes in the work very obviously. So I think he yeah. would admit them as well though. Like if you were like, um, we've noticed this, this, and this, he'd just be like, Yeah. Yeah. You kind of have well, you don't have to respect that, but <laughs> <laughs> it's ballsy and like, you yeah. know, like those are the kind of people where you're like, you know, I don't think that therapy would work on you. I think you've yeah. just you just accept that you've like, got you these things. Did it. Okay, yeah. fair enough. So yeah, maybe it wasn't Angelas, but now I feel like that's just like hard baked into him for me. Excellent, great. <laughs> um, uh, but you know, the man, he's the same as ever. The second time Marius came near her, so that first time he like passes her and I was like, oh, who's this? Well, she's hot. Anyway, continue my walk. <laughs> the second time she. I love this. Stared at him with indifference. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, the same way that she would have stared at a marble urn that cast a shadow on the bench. Mm. And he continues his walk and he doesn't think anything of that either. Because like, for a second I was like, yes. Because that's like, I don't give a fuck about you. And that's why Marius is like, oh my God, step on me with your dainty foot. Um, <laughs> but no, actually, they still like, they clock each other, but are like, whatever. Mm. Yeah, so he's still coming to the gardens. He doesn't pay them any further attention. He thought no more about the girl now that she was beautiful than he had thought about her when she was ugly. <laughs> I'm like, you mean as what he thought about her when she was a child? <laughs> Before puberty. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm giving that to Hugo. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, I don't think Marius would have thought like that. Like Kovarak did because he like he said it with his words, mm. but Marius is just like not paying attention to much of anything. He's in his own head a lot. Um, I really thought it was like love at first sight, like zing, and that's how I really thought it was going to go for these two. Yeah, well, um, that's how so. it is in the musical. So you know, oh, that's probably why I then. didn't see you there. Forgive me. Whereas they just keep seeing you there. <laughs> Don't give a shit. <laughs> it's really funny because when you go and see the musical, um, and it's in the, I think it's in the movie as well, but because um, it's like um, the Tenardiers are trying to like rob uh, Vajon and Cosette and like it's all the like hectic music and it's like blah, 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 and then they like run into each other and then the like love theme swells and it's like, I didn't see mm. you there, forgive me. And like every time I've gone to see it, someone near me has just been like, oh my God. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's such a like, you know, like rom com swell of yeah. music in this like, yeah, like robbery scene. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, my expectations were subverted. That mm. they just so like, yeah, that I was like, okay, she's a child. They don't even make eye contact. Oh, okay, she's hot now. Okay, now it's going to happen. Oh, you've seen each other twice. You still don't care. Oh, you just keep seeing each other, but you're just like, doesn't matter. Because mm. also every fic is like, I met, cr- met eyes with a girl across the 
across the way today, lads. Mm. Um, yeah, that's well, true. Well, I say every fic as if I've read every fic. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get there. I'll, I'll go back at some point. But yeah, no, it's just like on a random day in spring that he's back there, as he usually is. And because it's spring, he's Marius is wholly open to salt and nature. And he's not even thinking any thoughts. He's just living and breathing. I'm like, yes. Mm. <laughs> Head empty. <laughs> just just fresh air. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's just trying to vibe. He's lost um, in the sauce. The sauce yeah. being Red Jordan du Luxembourg. <laughs> <laughs> lost in the sauce of spring. Um, what was in the girl's gaze on this occasion? Marius couldn't have said. Nothing and everything. It was a strange flash of brilliance. She lowered her eyes. He continues on his way. But what he had just seen was no longer the ingenious and uncomplicated gaze of a child. It was a mysterious chasm that had opened up and then abruptly closed again. There comes a day when every girl has such a look. Pity the man who happens to be there. That first glance of a soul as yet unknown to itself is like the dawn breaking in the sky. So... I think that what happened, what he goes getting at, is that like even though she hit puberty and she's hot now, she kind mm. of did still have that like, as he'd said, oh that beautiful moment, the womanly curves, but the childish innocence, where she's having her first like womanly thought question mark, mm. and that's what Marius saw happen, and basically. Yeah. God forbid that ever happened to you, because you're lost to that woman. Uh, and I pity you, says Hugo. Um, <laughs> it is a sort of undefined tenderness in waiting that accidentally reveals itself. It is a trap that innocence unwittingly lays, um, in which it catches hearts without intending to. It is a virgin with a woman's gaze. <laughs> oh my God. It doesn't make me think, like... When I was in secondary school, I went to an all-girls secondary school, and there was, like, that really weird period where, like, suddenly all of my friends were starting to like boys, but in that, like, we don't know what we're doing with these feelings kind of way. And me being mm. the, like, young Ace Aero who didn't know that I was trans yet, <laughs> or Ace Aero, <laughs> or anything queer, just being like... So are we not gonna talk about anime anymore or like <laughs> what's happening? Like what and yeah, I feel like I've been it trapped in situations <laughs> where just been like, wow, I genuinely don't know what's happening right now. And yeah, it's it is quite interesting being mm. witness to it and feeling like you're the outsider to it. And that it's like quite a, it's an event, I feel like, to live through. <laughs> an event we all get to live through. Mm. Yeah, I guess like, because what, as you saying, she was 15. That's when I was like, mostly friends with boys who then would like, if they asked me out, I'd be like, I guess so, because we're best friends. So <laughs> I guess that's what we're meant to do. Oh, I don't like it when you want to hold my hand, though. <laughs> <laughs> So, the reverse, when that twinkle in a boy's eye <laughs> changes from the innocence of a young boy, and I was like, oh, we're not going to go to the cinema and watch 
stupid movies anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you want to hold hands? <laughs> Ugh, gross. <laughs> um, so you were trapped, but not ensnared, Nemo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The virgin with a woman's gaze, that just means, like, she's giving you a sexy look, but she's still virginal, right? Like, that's what Hugo's getting at. Yeah, I think it's that kind of, like, she she's she's interested, but she doesn't know that she's, like, mm. directing at him kind of thing. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. And that Hugo's like, that look is a better trap than even the most practiced flirt because it's got the magical power to bring about the sudden blossoming of deep within a soul of that ominous flower full of perfumes and poisons which we call love but the way Hugo talks about love here and like this look like it Mm. is very sinister yeah that he's like oh this is an incredible moment but well men I pity you because you're trapped now and it's as poisonous as it is um beautiful and perfumed it's very mixed feelings coming from you hugo do we need to unpack these it's so bizarre because it's like every so often like i was trying to think about it i was trying to like give him the benefit of the doubt right i was trying to like be there and be like okay listen let's get into cosette and marius for a moment Mm. and like that kind of like yeah that look of that it being even more like dangerous than uh, the most uh, practiced seducer or whatever the line was that that is a very like powerful line because it's like oh yeah you know like that first look that you share or whatever that is so like mm, innocent but because it's so new and fresh I guess mm. right like that's the whole thing of it that it's like so such a brand new feeling that it's like the first time anything feels that like explosive and dynamic and like by the time it gets to like you know that you've been around the block a couple times and it stops being so like wonderful and fresh and then it like and then he just becomes so heterosexual with it (laughs) (laughs) and it's like oh yeah it's like you know the ball and chain and like yeah like she's gonna get her fucking claws in you and stuff and it's like ah yeah i wish i wish it wasn't like this though (laughs) yeah that's all Hugo, because Marius is fine about it. So based on what I, how I thought their like interest in each other, I thought it, you know, he's just pretty standard boy, Marius. Mm. But maybe he's, I was gonna say like demisexual, but maybe that's not quite right. Mm. Closer to my experience, where I'm only interested in people who I think could be interested in me or mm. are interested in me. Otherwise, I'm like, well, there's no point because there's no potential there, that it's not until she kind of gives him this look that he's like, oh, you're interested, and now so am I. Mm. Yeah, I feel like so. on the Demi kind of chart is, yeah. Mm. Which is just yeah. not what I would have expected from how I'd seen him in all the other versions we've interacted with and the, the fanfics I'd read so like that that was interesting Mm. um (laughs) marius realizes so after this and he's like oh my god we just shared this look then he's like oh my god my clothing's terrible (laughs) so he's like oh i can't can't go out like this so he's gonna put on his not his everyday clothes he's Mm. gonna put on his like slightly better clothes (laughs) that is still a bit faded but are a little bit more put together 
the start of a great sickness. So he goes right back in there, like, oh, this disease of love, of loving a woman. What a shame. <laughs> so at the usual time, Marius takes out his new coat, his new trousers, his new hat, his new boots. Uh, <laughs> he's got his gloves on, which for him is a tremendous luxury because we know he loves to like not give himself any luxuries at this point in his mm. life. Um, he passed Kurferak on the way and pretended not to see him. Oh my god. <laughs> Which just really amuses me. Um, when Kurferak got home, and he said to his friends, I just ran into Marius's new hat and new coat, and Marius was inside them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then he's like, he's probably going to sit with an exam. He looked like a complete dolt. But I'm like, oh I god. see now why maybe his editor or someone like read the whole thing and was like, wow, Kufarak is like quite a lot like Ptolemy's. He just negs everyone and Hugo was like, <gasps> how could you? I do think that like Kufarak in, in, you know, an actual good adaptation would, well, would be like cast as the catty gay best friend. Yeah. Because he is absolutely. that. Like... He is catty gay. <laughs> He's the like the library is always open with Kufarak. Like every little interjection we get from him is just him being like <laughs> So yes, agree. If anyone here is catty gay. I just love that Marius is pur- purposefully like ignore Kufarak as I walk by. I uh, I Oh my god, I was <sighs> My thought process went like very far in that like two seconds, which was I understand it though, like because as someone who only wears really ratty clothing, and in the like off chances that I do wear things that are like um, better than I usually wear or more put together than I usually wear, I really hate it when my housemates or like when someone else like that knows me sees me in those cl- in that clothing. <laughs> and then as I was having that thought, I was like, Nemo's Marius, Nemo's Marius, Nemo's Marius. <laughs> I inceptioned you. I planted the seed. <laughs> You're too arrow for it. It's fine. You're safe, Nemo. You're safe. Yeah. <laughs> you, inse- you inceptioned me so hard that I go for a walk in a park and then I like I become a straight person. You come back and I'm like, so I just fell in love over a single leg. Yeah. And I'll be like, what have I done? With a 15-year-old? Uh... Uh, no. Nope. <laughs> Cancelled. Cancelled. Ended. Yeah. Redacted. None of that. You're not Marius at all. Thank you. You don't look like a complete dolt. (laughs) I'll never say that about you. Well, in his little fancy outfit and his little gloves, Marius goes on his usual walk. um, And he walks around the fountain and he's like staring at the swans. (laughs) Just like in contemplation, uh, he passes like an old man and a little boy. And the old man's like, avoid extremes. Keep on equal distance, my son, from despotism? Despotism? Despotism sounds more right. Mm. So keep an equal distance from that and from anarchy. So I feel like we're meant to be learning something from that. Like, you should be avoiding extremes, Marius, but you're definitely not doing that right now. Also the way he's been living. So yeah, I guess this was an old man sent to read marius Mm. despotism is um the rule uh absolute power or authority the actions of uh tyranny uh the actions of tyranny yeah Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so yeah, the soul man's just like, just find a middle ground. So some fairly like lukewarm advice, I guess. But yeah. um, <laughs> be a centrist, my son. <laughs> something for Marius to overhear, anyway. Mm. Uh, the way he's walking along this path, like half reluctantly and like half like he's like has to do it. He looked as if he was being compelled, but also prevented from going there. And he was unaware of that this is the way that he was behaving. Like in his head, he's like, I'm it's being so normal. This oh is exactly God. what I do and how I look every day. <laughs> this oh. is when Marius becomes quite relatable. He makes such a little fool of himself. <laughs> he like he's getting closer to the bench. And he's like doing his coat up and then he's smoothing it down and he's like, okay, there's no wrinkles and my my trousers are looking glossy and oh God, I'm coming closer to the bench. There was something of an attack in his approach, a, a certain desire for conquest. So he's like marching. So I say he marched on the bench as I would say Hannibal marched on Rome. <laughs> oh my God. Um, and he had in no way suspended his usual intellectual preoccupations, apparently, on this walk where he his movements are all unconscious. Um, he's thinking about this book that he thinks is stupid and like thinking about a tragedy and analysing this and that. Then there was a high-pitched whistling in his ears. <laughs> and he just keeps smoothing down the folds of his coat and then his eyes settle on the girl. Um, and she seems to fill the entire end of the path with this haze of brightness. And as he gets closer, he starts slowing down. <laughs> and he's not even that close to the bench. Like, he's still got quite a bit of path to go. And he just turns around and retraces his steps. Oh my god. What a nut. <laughs> I know. Like, he wasn't close enough for the girl to have, like, she couldn't have barely noticed him or how good his clothes look. But he just, like, holds himself very erectly. Yeah. <laughs> and just marches away. But then he gets to the end and he's like, no, okay, re-rallying. Turns around, walks back. And this time he gets slightly closer. And then he's just like, oh, God. <laughs> Hesitates thinks that maybe the girl's face has turned towards him a bit and with a tremendous manly effort overcomes that hesitation he keeps walking and a few seconds later he goes past the bench erect and resolute blushing to his ears he can't look left or right very statesmanlike his hands are in his pockets <laughs> and his heart is going so hard she's wearing her little black gown the same as yesterday and he thought he heard her voice she was chatting away quietly she was very pretty he sensed this even though he didn't attempt to, to look at her like he knows in his heart that she's looking pretty right now she can't help but have some respect and regard for me he thought if she knew that i was actually the author of his dissertation <laughs> that somebody else claimed as his own in this edition of a paper oh my god <laughs> He keeps walking past the bench and then he returns and passes by again. But at least at least it is normal for him to pace past this bench because otherwise yeah. I think this would be more unbearable for me than it already kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> this time he's very pale. <laughs> he does not feel good. <laughs> he walks past the girl 
and while he had his back turned, he feels like maybe she's watching him, and this makes him immediately trip. <laughs> And he's like, okay, but I'm not going to try and do that again. So halfway down the path, he sits down on a different bench, which he has never done. Um, he's trying to kind of do a sidelong glance, see if he can like actually see her. And But his mind is so hazy. It is unlikely that anyone whose white hat and black gown he admired should be so totally un- unimpressed with his glossy trousers and his new coat. Oh my god. <laughs> Delusional boy. And after a quarter of an hour, he gets to his feet as if he's going to start walking back towards that aura of light on that bench. But he just stands there, motionless. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's so relatable and it hurts me. He's so awkward. And he's like, oh God, for the first time, I'm sure they've noticed me. (laughs) And probably considered his persistence quite peculiar. Yeah, I'll bet. So for the first time also, he felt disrespectful in referring to this stranger, even his own mind, by the nickname of Monsieur Leblanc. So always have space in your awkward, hazy, lovelorn thoughts for Jean Valjean. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a two-for-one offer. You get a girl and you get a dilf. Who could ask for more? He stands there for several minutes. Oh, <laughs> With baby. his head down. Just standing oh. there. But at least he's got a stick. So he's drawing lines in the sand. Oh, no. That's even worse. You could pretend to be looking at birds or something, but you're just drawing some shapes in the sand. <laughs> and then abruptly, he turns in the opposite direction, away from the bench, and went home. That whole day, he forgot to eat. He for- like it gets to eight o'clock, which for me is dinner time, but it's quite mm-hmm. late, I suppose, for most people. That he's like, oh god, well, fancy that, and he has a bit of bread. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, the bread, <laughs> the bread <laughs> is back. <laughs> the bread that Jean Valjean stole. <laughs> oh, there's another link between Jean Valjean and Marius and bread, but that will come. That will come. Oh, that's exciting. So he does have enough peace of mind left to brush his coat and carefully fold it. I guess I'll pause there. I actually read a lot of chapters. Um, yeah. I just can't tell how long I'll take anymore, <laughs> so it's safer to just read on. So we have more of this fun to come. But, oh my god, Marius! You, you, Stevie, have heard this story before, but I just... The other day I was like, at a, uh, an outdoor, like eating place and had a bowl of noodles and like just sat there for 45 minutes not being able to throw the noodles away because I was like the janitor person was standing in front of the bins and I was like (laughs) I can't I cannot get my brain to let me stand up and put those noodles in the bin and I'm like listening to Marius not being able to like walk and then just like stand up and then like stand there for like five minutes drawing some lines in the sand and then like run away that's exactly what I did and I'm like I hate this I hate it so much (laughs) Uh, so your curses 
Oh, your monkey's paw. Oh. You've got me into the Les Mis book, <laughs> but at the cost of you having Marius realizations. <laughs> Was it worth it, Nemo? The lady doth protest too much kind of situation. Oh, oh my God. Or a fucking Grantes foot fetish. Like, it was barely a blip on the today's findings. I can't believe I allowed this to happen. I can't believe I allowed you to get so close. <laughs> I'm in your head now, and all that's in there is Marius. No! <laughs> and on that terrible note. We've got more of this to come, more of this to Aww. look forward to. Nemo, more things for you to relate to. I hate it so much. I can't. <sighs> I'm furious. I'm so furious <laughs> at this realization. Maybe actually this is what you get for dropping the bombshell <laughs> of Fortune of One's death. Well, well I... Uh... Yeah. Oh my. Yeah. What more could we do what to I each thought... other now? <laughs> <laughs> well, dear listener, you. This podcast is just now. You're going to be listening to us committing these sacrileges upon one another <laughs> each week. Um, and that's what bread and barricades is. Uh, and this has been it. A lamest podcast. Um, produced by me, Neiman Martin, and Julian Yap. It's a Captain's Collections podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or quibbles, or if you also relate to Marius Promessi, you can uh, send me a, a consolationary email at lamerspodcast at gmail.com, L E S M I S podcast at gmail.com, or on Twitter at lamerspodcast or on Tumblr at Bread and Barricades. You can also leave us a review that just says, Help Nemo Martin escape from this prison. Um, and you can leave that on iTunes. If you like this podcast, you could give us some money on Ko-fi or on Patreon. The links are in the description. And if you want to contribute to the therapy session that I go to next week in which I talk <laughs> about these realizations, um, feel, free to, feel free to donate. Our audio director is Jade. You can find her on her website, jadewasabi.com or on Bandcamp, jadewasabi.bandcamp.com. I believe that's everything. I think it so is. Thank you for listening. <laughs> for the first time in Lemo's podcast history, I am not looking forward to you learning more about this book. <laughs> <laughs>